Welcome to season three of the Jada Edwards podcast. You'll get a little bit of Bible teaching, some great stories, and some great interviews along the way. Okay, y'all, it is February, and I know there is a topic on the minds of many of you. It's kind of a hot topic. It's trending. It comes up this time of year, every year, and I want to talk about it. Black History Month. Okay, I'm kidding. I know that's not what y'all talking about. Y'all like, wait, (laughs) dating and Valentine's. Black History Month is on my mind, but we're going to talk about dating and really how it relates to marriage and why we get so obsessed with it. So these questions come up all the time as I talk to people and they want to understand biblical dating. Things have just evolved over the years, Um, even in the 20 years 21 years now that I've been married, like the advice I would have given then has even had to have a little nuance added to it because people keep redefining how we build connection. Um, but what, what what has not changed are the biblical values and the principles that we need to live by regardless of what we're pursuing. And so when I think about dating or when you're thinking about a relationship, make sure you are, first of all, thinking about that in the context of who you are as a believer. So marriage is not some separate thing that has a different set of rules because you probably have heard, do I date for one year? Should it be a short uh, courtship? Uh, Do you kiss before you date? Do you kiss after you date? How will you know if you're compatible is there is there the one that God has for you and how what about if you're not equally yoked which usually doesn't even mean what we think it means Um, all of these questions don't do this do this make sure you this group date don't group date I mean there can be a million pieces of advice that people can give you about the logistics of a relationship Uh, but those only come after you have made a a commitment to love God with your heart, soul, and mind. And that sounds like such a big umbrella statement. But that thing governs everything. When, When I'm giving somebody advice about which job to choose, I'm like, first of all, recenter yourself with how much you love God because your love for God um, is what allows you to seek out his truth and to seek out his wisdom and to not prioritize your goals over God's goals for you. Like the love that we have for God is the basis for everything, which is why Matthew, which is why Jesus says throughout the gospels that the entire law hangs on loving God and loving your neighbor. So it sounds like a cliche, But that really has to be our starting point because sometimes we get obsessed about things because we love them more than we're loving God. And so it affects our relationship with God because he hasn't brought the person that we want to spend the rest of our lives with or he hasn't given us a family or uh, the career is not what we want it to be. And so when those things devastate us to the point of disruption, okay, uh, we all experience disappointment. That's what life brings on this side of heaven. But when you're devastated to the point of disruption, I cannot fully live out the life God has for me because I'm so deeply disappointed about not having X or about this thing not working out. Uh, That is when you do have to check your heart. Do I really love God with my heart, soul, mind and my strength? Because if I did, the thing that I'm waiting for or the thing that I don't have yet should not disrupt me the way that it is. So a lot of times we have to get into the, the first question, like, do I love God with everything? Which then leads to, if I love God with all of who I am, then I believe him for the life that he's given me. Not the life he's going to give me. The life that I have right now. Um, 
even in the Corinthian church, Paul addressed the Corinthians in the first letter of Corinthians, and they were acting kind of crazy. Like the married people were getting divorced and the single people felt that, like they need to get married. And Paul was like, hey, whatever status you're in, remain as you are. These things have nothing to do <laughs> with your faith in Jesus. People were acting crazy uh, about marriage and divorce and just a whole lot of things. And he was like, as a matter of fact, you know, it's better to remain single. So you have an undivided devotion to the Lord. Now I'm not here to say that um, you need to all be rejoicing if you're wanting to be married and, and you're not. I'm saying that biblically we see that there's greater capacity when we're single. Um, and so you don't want cultural values to trump what the Bible has shown to be true. Um, Paul was trying to encourage them to be content wherever they are. My firm belief is that marriage the change in marital status is not an upgrade. It's not an improvement. It's just a change. It's like I lived in one zip code. Now I live in another zip code. <laughs> I lived in this house. Now I live in this house. It's just different houses. But the rules that govern your life really shouldn't change. And so love God with everything, which then leads to my next big idea. And that's treasuring the life he's given you. Because you have to be convinced that you don't need marriage, just like you don't need a bunch of other things <laughs> that we that we aspire to or you know desire in life you have to believe that your life is defined by mission and not marriage and marriage is not a mission marriage is not something that God crafted you in your mother's womb to be married like no there's greater call on your life and you gotta love God with everything you have which means you then believe the best you believe the life that he's given you you are passionately pursuing mission trying to live on mission so that if a life change comes along because that's what marriage is it's a life change it's a big one but at its essence it's a life change um but when a life change comes along and god has to relocate you or uh, you switch careers or school is not working out or you get a health diagnosis that seems devastating or you lose a parent or you get married, like whatever it is, give me the list. When that change comes along, it doesn't affect mission. Um, and when it comes to things like marriage, somebody else joining in your life, you need to be asking, not only should it not affect mission, it should further your mission, okay? It has to be purposeful. God does not bring covenantal life change, which by the way is only marriage, secondarily to some extent, you can make covenants with your church family, but covenant is so heavy. It is not like changing jobs. It's such a big deal that it has to further your mission. Well, you cannot know whether or not marriage furthers your mission if you don't know what your mission is. If your mission is marriage, that is like walking in circles. It's set up to fail. Um, it has to be a, your awareness of who you are, what God has called you to do so that you're assessing the men or women, the man or woman that comes into your life uh, in light of how well they vibe with what God's asked you to do. And so I tell this story often because I was very delighted with my life. I was teaching youth ministry and leading student worship and all the things that I used to do here at one community church or in this season of my life. I was doing those things when I met Conway and he was discipling men and teaching leadership classes Surprise, surprise. And so when I met him and he was like, yeah, I want to change the world. By the way, he didn't tell me he wanted to plant a church because we might not be married today. But, you know, the Lord knows he has the information from you. So I asked him, I was like, what do you want to do with your life? And 
first of all, he knew what he wanted to do with his life, which was already a departure from every other person I had met. But then he was like, yeah, I want to disciple men and, you know, raise leaders and build families and strengthen, um, strengthen families through leadership development and strengthen men, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, sweet. I want to disciple women. I want, and we were both teaching student ministry had that as a part of our past. And so to me, it just felt like a fit, you know? And so, I was like, okay, God, is this what you're saying? That sense of mission really opened my heart to marriage because I was not really desiring marriage at the time. I was 24 or 25 when I met Conway. And I was like, I'm good because I loved God so much. I loved the life he had given me. Conway had to prove himself worthy to interrupt my life. And I think when you love your life, and I I gave this illustration often, talked about it this time last year on a podcast, when you love your life, people who come in and out of your life, even friends, have to prove themselves worthy to interrupt your life. Um, God shows you, yes, this person is worthy of the interruption. They show you, yes, I'm going to be deserving to interrupt your life because what you had was good before me. That's what you need to believe. If you think your life was missing something and you put it on a person to fill in that missing link, you are deifying them in a way that they cannot handle in their humanity. Nobody can bear the burden of being your missing link. Um, I mean, if you're old enough to remember Jerry Maguire, that messed up everybody. You don't need nobody to complete you. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's great for the movies. It's horrible for marriage. Um, Compliment you? Absolutely. Uh, partner with you for a mission that's going to be unique to both of you together. Great. But completion, mm-mm, that happened at the cross. So anyway, so love God, treasure the life you've given, been given. And then that helps you really kind of avoid this idolatry of marriage. I think our culture um, just idolizes marriage. I wouldn't even say that. I think we idolize weddings. That's what I really think we idolize. And then after the engagement photos and the 57 events leading up to the wedding and in the dress and the second dress and third dress and the change and the honeymoon, all these things, then you're like, Oh, we married. <laughs> we got to deal with this every day. And everyday marriage is not Instagrammable. Okay. The engagement party might be in honeymoon and everybody's face would be in the, the, the guys were clean and whatever, all that's great. But the real grind of living in relationship Nobody wants pictures of that. Then you don't have nothing to say until you hit anniversaries. <laughs> so you're just like, okay. Um, so I think we idolize that. Um, and sometimes in the church, we can idolize marriage. We kind of think that that's a status, some level of completion. That is just a fallacy. It's just not true. And if you do that, you're going to be looking for the wrong things in marriage and really setting your marriage up to fail because it's not meant to be your God. Okay. All right. So uh, love God, treasure the life, be on mission. Last thing I would say before I'm going to answer a few questions because we had some Q&A that we've accumulated over the last few months. Um, The last thing I will say is lean hard into community. You need community. This need for community used to be intrinsic to the culture. I'm not even talking about all the way back to biblical time. I'm talking about even one or two generations ago where you had uh, people and families who lived in larger groups and lived closer to each other. And you knew so-and-so's kid walking down the street and you had aunties and grandmothers and people at church could discipline you and it didn't matter. You were accountable to every adult. And so you just had this broader sense of community. You had people who weren't related to you showing up to your football games and high school graduation because our sense of community was so different 
Um, some of it came from just the way that we produced. Like when people had to work a lot, you needed that village to to care for the children in groups, right? So a lot of people were raised next to or near their cousins. And it was just like, you didn't even know your cousin, first cousin, third cousin. Is that my auntie? Or is that my what? It didn't matter. It was just family, right? Um, so some of those cultural things were intrinsic to us and they they built by default a sense of community. So you were not showing up with uh, a guy or a girl and people not be in your business. <laughs> you just couldn't do it. Um, but now in the world that we're living in where a lot of our connections are primarily digital, um, they are not real. We don't have a lot of real connections. We live in isolation. We work from home. We start our own businesses and never meet the people that are our customers. They just click a link and we send them stuff and we get their money and we move on to the next thing. We are so highly disconnected that now when it comes to dating, uh, you don't really have any natural village to lean on. And so you got to do that now, not just when you're ready to date. Again, these are just healthy principles uh, for life, especially as a believer. But when you have community, that avoids so much foolishness because most of our bad relationship decisions are made in isolation. <laughs> we usually somewhere we don't need to be or trapped in our own thoughts, trying to figure our way out of something or rationalize why we're doing something. But, man, when you don't have another person saying, what you did, what? What did they say? Let me see that message. Where are you going? What time is it? <laughs> like asking those questions. Um, then you just, you can set yourself up for really bad decisions. And community serves uh, that broader purpose, I think, of just being a natural filtering tool. Because the person that you love and you think is amazing, you're going to have that one friend or that one cousin or one whatever, even if it's not your parents. Um, they provide a collective spiritual covering. And they look at people and go, mm -mm, I'm not impressed because they're not in love with them. They don't like them like you do. They just see them as somebody. They're trying to assess whether or not that person is worthy of you. They love you. And you need people that love you more than your love for the person you're dating because we get blind. I mean, love, I'm telling you, it drops the IQ. That romantic love, mm, mm -mm, I'm telling you, smart people do dumb things all the time so um leaning into community loving god treasuring your life being on mission those are like foundational things you have to keep in mind now i'm gonna turn the corner because we had some specific questions come in i'm gonna try to hit a couple of those before we're done how does christian dating how does christian dating differ from worldly dating or dating in the culture uh again i think it differs because it should be intentional and so i you know conway and i wrote a book many, many years ago called When Love's in View. He wrote a follow-up book, I think, called After Love's in View or something. I can't remember all the title. He wrote two books on that. He just wrote Watch the Flags. We have several books on dating and relationships. So your guidelines, I don't think there's a prescription. I don't think there's a right or wrong way, how many months, how many weeks, how many days. Like that, you need spiritual covering, wisdom, community. Um, but it should differ in that it has a goal. <laughs> the goal is is to determine whether or not you guys are supposed to be married. Um, it's not just companionship. It's not just I'm bored. I want a plus one at this event. It, it really needs to serve a purpose. Um, because when it doesn't, it still creates those heart connections, those emotional connections, and then it ends up providing no value to your life except for another thing you have to try to get over. Um, another person that's been led into your personal life that you're not going to spend forever with. So it's, 
I just think Christian dating should differ from worldly dating and that it's intentional, um, that it's purpose driven. And I would also say that it's honoring. I don't know that people really think about how to honor the other person in dating. Most dating um, relationships in the world are self-centered. And if you ask somebody why they're dating someone, they're going to tell you all the things that person does for them. They make me feel this date. They, they do this. I'm messy. She's neat. I'm scattered. He's driven uh, like all of these things. So they really are dating the person because that person adds something to their lives. It's a very self-centered approach to dating. It's not an honoring that says, I see this person as a daughter or a son of God. They have their own mission. I have a mission. And I kind of think that maybe God can do something jointly with us on mission and we're in the process of figuring that out with our community and through prayer and all that. It's usually like, how does this person upgrade my life? <laughs> they make me better, you know, uh, let alone, I'm not going to even talk about when you unhealthy and you got father wounds and mother wounds and this person trying to be your parents from your childhood plus your, your romantic partner. It's just, it's too much. y'all. It's entirely too much. So Christian dating should differ. Um, how do you know when God is sending you? Here's the second question. How do you know when God is sending someone to you versus when it's your flesh? <laughs> uh, this probably, they probably met somebody real fine. I was like, oh Lord, is that you? Um, how do you know when God is sending you someone? That's a good question. I don't know that God sends romantic partners to other people. I think God just allows you to cross the paths of people who are believers. And then you get to decide the beauty of the Gospels, even though the epistles, everything after the book of Acts, um, Romans through all way before you get to Revelation, which is apocalyptic, but all the epistles that kind of get into practical Christian living, they give us a lot of details on things. The Gospels, super high level. This is Jesus was like, here's the doctrinal things you need to know. But even in the epistles, like nobody's like, let me tell you the rules to dating. I think there's some things that God is like, just be wise, be wise. Can you, are you treating this person like a brother or a sister in Christ? Are you staying focused on mission? If you're staying focused on everything God's called you to do, and that's still your number one passion, it'll be very difficult to have an unhealthy dating relationship because those things become unhealthy when our priorities and our energy starts to shift disproportionately to that relationship. Um, so anyway, will God send you someone? I think God allows us to cross the paths of people all the time for various reasons. And then we get to decide what we're going to do with it. Uh, I don't think you're in sin if you marry, if you had two people you were dating and you married one and not the other, they were both believers and you know, one didn't work out and one did. I don't think you, I don't think you're going to miss any rewards in heaven. Like God is like, live your life, marry believers um, find people who are on mission. You know, you think about even the friendship Paul and Barnabas talked about in the book of Acts, they went their separate ways and we don't know why. And we don't know like if they really fell out or they just disagreed. But even in that separation, you saw there was value for their friendship for a season and no blame was assigned to either one of them. You know, it probably wasn't as nice, as amicable as it could have been, but I think that just happens sometimes. It don't mean that Barnabas was in sin to be Paul's friend. You just like, okay, it just didn't, that wasn't, that wasn't the lasting partnership that God had. Sometimes dating is like that. And when you do it in a way that's honoring back to how Christian dating should differ, when you do it in a way that's honoring, you can end a dating relationship. You can decide mutually that this is not going to, this is not healthy to move forward or 
it's just not a good fit because I think it's okay. You need to be attracted. You need to like the person. Okay. Don't, some of y'all, Ooh, trying to be so godly. Don't even like the person. Person make your skin crawl. Person is just like the most unattractive person to you in the world. And you're like, but they love Jesus. Okay, but also you have to like them. Y'all not having devotionals all day, every day. You need to like them. And on the whole earth, there is somebody that you like. <laughs> now, if you're not attracted to them for really shallow reasons, sure, you may spend a little bit of time asking God to open up your heart. Lord, is it just me? Um, but if there's things that just turn you off, y'all, we are fleshly. We are weak. We're not perfect. Don't set yourself up to try to be godlier than you are <laughs> by trying to get in some relationship and you know you're not really attracted. You don't have an affinity for the person. It's not fair to them, and it's not it's not the godly thing to do. Like, you need to have some affinity for that person, and they all have joint mission, and they love the Lord, right? So, yeah, I don't know if God sends you someone, but I think you know, I think you know when it's your flesh, because you know when it feels good. Shoots, y'all know. Um, okay, so shifting the mindset, how do we shift our mindset? from being attracted to worldly traits of a man or a woman to godly traits. Again, those books that I mentioned, and we'll put these resources at the end of the podcast and drop them in our comments on the other platforms. But there are some basic principles that you're looking for um, based on how God designed men and women. You know, a desire to lead, desire to grow, a heart of submission, integrity, those kinds of things. These are like things you'd want in a friend. Like they're just good principles that you're looking for and so those have to be your core and then let me tell you something because God is good he just be throwing in some extra some gravy sometimes sometimes when you really like I want them to be godly Lord but also can they be tall but also can they be an athlete but also can they be sometimes God just like you know what I'm gonna give you some of them extras now those are not the things you hang your relationship on. But God is gracious like that, y'all. He just, you will be amazed when you like lean into the things that are most important to God. God does give you stuff that's important to you. But that can't be first. I've seen it happen too many times. I actually wrote in my journal that I wanted to marry a Jamaican. <laughs> I don't know what happened. And it wasn't godly. I probably was just living ratchet. I probably came out of a reggae club. That's probably what happened. And one night had a moment. And, you know, I'm just going to put my business out there. <laughs> just had a moment. And I was like, I want to marry Jamaican that loves the Lord. Because I loved reggae music. It wasn't even that deep. And the Lord was like, girl, I got you. Um, so here we are. But <laughs> first, we were on mission together. Let me get back to my godly voice. Um, we were on mission together. He loved the Lord. <laughs> Everybody back here is cracking up. They're like, Lord, she is ratchet. You know what? The Lord will use anybody. Um, so anyway, I'm saying it's not that God's trying to punish you. He's not trying to, you know, give you some very tight checklist and marriage is just miserable but it's holy no like God is the giver of good gifts like he gives you people allows you to meet people who love him and love you and you want somebody that's adventurous he might check that off the list or they may be an they might be an indoor person and you're the adventurer and you just do that with your friends well who knows but God will do it so I think it's great to ask for all the things but they need to be in the right order um y'all God will blow your mind so anyway um, how do you deal with comparing yourself? Uh, yeah, when everyone's engaged, just don't. Because here's the thing. Comparison, especially in the day and age we live in, is so deceiving. You're comparing 100% of your life to 2% of someone else's life. Unless you're in their house every day, you're looking at a well-lit, well-framed slice of their life. And you're looking around all of your life. It will never measure up. Never. Never. If you look at brand new shiny car on the car lot 
and you go inside that thing and it's shiny and the wheels and the rims, everything's gleaming, it smells good on the inside. You can't compare that to your current car. That cannot be the reason you buy a car because that car is going to eventually get dirty and get lived in and have Cheerios and goldfish and books and stuff and get muddy. And it's not going to be washed and clean every day. It would be ridiculous to say this car looks better than mine. This is why I should want it. it that's not that's not the point. How does it drive? Does it meet your needs? Does it fit your life? Um, comparison is such a deception because we are never comparing apples to apples. You don't live in somebody else's life. You are comparing the life you live to somebody else's life that you just see. It doesn't even make sense. So you've got to be able to tell yourself, I am setting myself up for a lie. There's no way I could compare my life to another person's based on the small slice. And now these days, the well-curated slice of life that you see. So that's a process that we just have to be free of. I have to tell myself sometimes when I'm looking at people's amazing kitchens and closets, I'm like, you know what? I believe that out of this frame, their house might look like mine. And I'm just going to be all right with that. They frame this thing up real well. The mail is not in the picture and the shoes and socks. That's fine. I know. If you live, then your, I know what your house has to look like. So you just have to just tell yourself that what you're, what you're comparing yourself to is not real. So that's the thing that comes up, too. Because let me tell you something. If you don't get that, it's going to always be something. Because you're going to get married. And then you're going to start comparing yourself to the people who got pregnant, who had a baby. And then they're going to have a baby. And you're going to like, oh, I had two boys. I want a boy and a girl. Dang, when when do I get a girl? It's going to always be something. They in a three-bedroom house. Dang, we just, we still in an apartment. You know, and so there's going to always be something if you don't really check yourself on going down that slippery slope of the, the, the deception, really, of comparison. Um, okay. And lastly, uh, someone said, oh, recommendations for vetting relationship partners. Well, the books that I mentioned and community, 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 community can include, but is not limited to, (laughs) uh, spiritual covering. You know, we talk about this in our books, spiritual covering, spiritual fathering, spiritual mothering, like having parents, having parental figures, aunties and uncles and mentor kind of figures who can guide you in that journey. Uh, find a healthy married couple that, that you look up to and just talk to them. And y'all don't have to talk every day, but just say, hey, if you don't already have that in your biological father or someone in your family, just ask. Say, hey, when I start dating, are you okay if I run these people by you? It's okay. When I've had the women that I lead or women that I know come up to me and they start dating, the first thing I say is like, who are y'all talking to? What's the third party wiser person who is not invested? They don't care either way, whether you get married or not. They just love you. They love you both. Who are you talking to? Um, Because when that girl has questions or insecurities or doubts or when he has questions, they need to be able to talk to somebody that's not each other. It's the only way you can protect the heart. When I'm processing, when you're processing how to move forward in a relationship and questions to ask, you can't ask the other person that. Y'all can't not be figuring that out together because no heart can survive that. And so when the relationship doesn't work out, you've shared all this relationship prep together and then you're gone. And so you can't protect a female's heart, men, and women, you can't protect your own heart um, or the heart of a man. He may be the more emotionally aware one or sensitive one. You want to protect each other's hearts. And so... Um, it keeps you it gives you a safe place when you have community um, that can help you vet potential partners and it allows you to share your concerns with somebody other than the person you're dating and somebody other than your friends the neutral part is important because your friends gonna always be like you right 
whatever you just said, I agree. <laughs> uh, you may have some really good friends that know how to challenge you, but that neutral party, especially if that person is in a healthy marriage that you've been able to observe, they're going to give you wise counsel and allow you to protect the heart of the other person so you can speak freely to someone about that relationship. And so highly recommend that you'd be surprised how many godly men and women in church are willing and able and ready to give you that guidance um, when you're because they don't want you to make mistakes that they've made or mistakes they know you can make. So make sure you find that to the best of your ability. All right. Y'all, that's been a few snippets on dating. And I hope you have a fabulous February. And if you have no dates, great. God is still good. And if you have a couple dates, make sure they serve a purpose in Jesus name. <laughs> See you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, make sure leave a comment, leave a review, share, subscribe, all the things, and we'll catch you next time.